Hello. Thank you, Tyrese. Uh, we're talking about rest, and we're in a series on rest, so I'm just going to take my time here for a minute. Everybody just relax. We're, uh, we're coming to the end. We've been doing, this is kind of like a, a mini-series that we've been doing on Sabbath. I don't know if this thing is not turned on. Just keep relaxing. You're doing great. So we're coming to the end of this uh, kind of like a little mini-series that we've been doing where we have been uh, talking about Sabbath, just asking about different ways to rest in a way that connects us with God. And we've talked about kind of three different elements of what Sabbath can entail. You can pause, you can pray, and you, then today we're going to talk about you can play. I think there are a lot of folks at ECV who are great at connecting with God through play. But depending on your background, you might have a harder time understanding maybe what it even means for what play means for adults or how you might meet God in it. So a lot of what I have to, to say today is for you, for people like myself who struggle for different reasons to play. If you feel like the fun stuff in your life feels completely different, like a whole separate category from like the meaningful religious stuff in your life, that's actually a pretty common experience. And so maybe this is even like a whole new idea to you in some way that God could meet you and be honored by your games, your hobbies, your fun. So one time I, uh, I, I needed to travel. I was traveling from uh, Cape Town, South Africa to a city on the opposite side of the country and I decided to do it, do it by bus. It was going to be a long ride. It was going to be like almost 24 hours. But it was, it was a pretty nice bus. It was one of those buses that have like the little television screens that kind of hang from the ceiling. And so we get going and the, the bus driver puts on a movie. And right away, I'm a little bit confused because it's an American movie, but like I don't recognize any of the people in it. I've never heard of it. And it, the production quality is kind of weird. It just doesn't feel very like Hollywood. And it's about an American football team, which, I mean, nobody in South Africa has any idea what American football is. But I had met some people around me on the bus. They had found out that I'm American. So I'm, the movie is starting, and I'm like kind of trying to explain the rules as we go for how football works. And the first scene is like a football game, and then they get to the end of the football game, and all the players gather, and they uh, kneel on the field together to pray. And there's this long scene. And everybody around me is kind of like, so... Is that, is that football? Is that part of the football too? It's like, this is like the praying is like a ritual that you do at the end. And I'm like, well, I, I guess I never thought of it. But yeah, like, I mean, I guess there are a lot of players that gather to kneel and pray on the field after a game. And so they're kind of getting it. And, and then we cut to this scene where the coach, who's going through a really hard time, is at his home alone. And he's reading his Bible. And he's like, praying, and he's like crying out and questioning God, and at that moment, the guy sitting next to me in the seat says, uh, I'll, I'll edit his language a little bit, but he goes, oh, bleep, it's one of those Christian movies, and, and not everybody on the bus, but like a lot of people around me were like, no, no, because as soon as they said like, oh, it's a Christian movie, that immediately meant that nothing fun or interesting was going to happen, like it was a guarantee no gun battles, no explosions, nothing hilariously shocker, shocking or gross, no car chases, no kung fu, no sex scenes, nothing. 
If it's a Christian movie, you just know from the beginning it's going to be about like how you should pray and be a better person and everything will turn out all right in the end. But there was nothing else to do on the bus, so we watched the movie. And turns out it was not that much fun. And we get to the end and there's sort of like this audible sigh of relief as we get done. The next movie starts playing and it takes about a minute or so to realize, oh, this is still the first movie just playing over again. And in fact, this is the only movie they have on this particular bus. And at that point, there was basically a mutiny. And the driver had to turn off the screens because everybody was like, we would rather just sit here in silence for the next 18 hours staring out the window than watch that movie over and over and over again. I found out uh, later that this, this movie was fully funded and produced by a church in Georgia. How in the world it ended up on a bus in South Africa, I have absolutely no idea. And look, I'm, I'm not here to hate on Christian movies. If, if It's great. If you love that kind of movie, I'm married to someone who likes Christian movies. I, one time when we were dating, she wanted me to watch a movie so we could discuss it. And to, get, to watch this movie, I had to get a free 30-day trial to a streaming service called Pure Flix, which if you are a subscriber to Pure Flix, God bless you. Peace be with you. You and I are on the same email list to this very day. So I'm glad that you enjoy it. And I, I'm telling you this story just to point out that even if, if, even if you love movies that like explicitly point people to God like that, you would have to admit that these movies are not often like international blockbusters. They may be poignant, they may be meaningful, but they are not usually fun in a way that the average non-Christian would recognize. Serious Christians are just not known historically for being the most fun or playful people. And that's, that's actually for some good reason. Scripture doesn't necessarily endorse everything that people call fun. In fact, it has a lot of serious critiques about how people have fun, and it asks us to do some discernment between the kinds of play that, what kind of play is Sabbath, and what kind of play, which, which also means like, what kind of play orients, orients us towards God, and what kind of play separates us from God. And that's what we're going to be kind of talking about today by, by taking a sort of sweeping look across Scripture for the wisdom that it has to offer. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us and ask for some wisdom. So Lord, you are the giver of wisdom. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would help us to listen to your heart. Help us to, to test the spirits. And Lord Jesus, give us your delight. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I, uh, when I first became a Christian, it, it bothered me a little bit that the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Jesus' emotions. And, and when it does, you can find Bible verses where Jesus comes across maybe as frustrated or angry. You can find verses where Jesus explicitly cries. But there's not a single verse where Jesus laughs. Although people will sometimes argue that there are certain verses that maybe make more sense if you read them and expecting that Jesus is being funny. But still, at, at face value, Jesus comes across as a very serious, sober, almost stoic guy. And for many Christians throughout history then, seriousness became the ideal. Seriousness became almost synonymous with holiness. And then on top of that, there are a lot of scriptures that are pretty hard on things that maybe the average person might associate with fun, childish ways, 
youthful passions. Go to the next slide, please. Things like obscene, silly, depending on your translation, it might say foolish, vulgar talk. In fact, many Christians have worried. I mean, looking at silly talk, there have been Christians throughout history who have genuinely worried, does that mean that all joking, all jokes are forbidden? Or take a look at this, this one from 1 Peter chapter 4. This is like a list of things, a bunch of things you should never return to as a Christian. They belong to non-believers. Debauchery, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, lawless idolatry. For a certain kind of person, you just listed off like Friday night plans. Like this sounds like a memorable trip to Las Vegas. These are almost, I mean, you could almost imagine like each of these words as like the name of a new nightclub or something. Like, oh, let's go get drinks at debauchery on Friday night. Or like, did I see you last week standing outside at lawless idolatry? <laughs> now, look, there is, there is like more context to all of, of these verses. None of it necessarily means that Christians shouldn't have fun or play. But it's also true that there is a lot of scripture that takes this kind of general tone. It contrasts Christian discipleship with the kind of things that many non-Christians and sometimes Christians consider to be like the pinnacle of fun. And so there is a, a kind of sermon that I could give you, but I won't. But it's a kind of sermon that you, you might have heard before. A kind of sermon where like the preacher sort of rebukes the congregation for being too interested in fun and not interested enough in God. It's the kind of sermon where I have to get... I have to get closer. I have to get like really up in your faces and I say things like, I see too many of you spending all your time watching The Bachelor <laughs> talking about, oh, who's going to get the rose on the third date? Y'all need to get serious. <laughs> you want to fuss over an unmarried man, you need to start worrying about the one who arose on the third day. Some of y'all have been waiting for your whole life for that sermon. <laughs> that is a kind of sermon that has been preached for centuries. In fact, there is a, uh, there's a, there's a pretty famous preacher, but like from the fourth century. So we're talking about 1,700 years ago, a guy named John Chrysostom. We still have his sermons where he rebukes his congregation because they know the names of the drivers of the chariots in the Colosseum better than they know the names of the 12 apostles. Y'all need to get serious here. Preachers have been given that sermon since, like, forever, where your games and your entertainment are preventing you from getting serious about faith. So quit playing around, start coming to church, start focusing on God. And if the point of Sabbath is then to spend a day resting in God, drawing your attention back to God, then, then shouldn't Sabbath then be more serious, less playful? Many, many churches in America's early history up to the present day were, were influenced by a certain line of thinking that drawn from the Reformation, which argues that the Sabbath should be a day of rest from both work and play. The Sabbath is for God. So you can sing, but you better be singing hymns. You can read, but you better be reading the Bible. You can hang out with other people, but it better be the church, and you better be worshiping. Even if you've never heard of the Reformation, many, many people from all kinds of churches, white, black, brown, immigrant, many people come from churches where Sunday is the Lord's day, and so Sunday is primarily for going to church. You might 
come from a background where you spend three, four, six, eight hours worshiping in a church on a Sunday. Church is what you do in order to focus you on God. Other things, whether they be work or play, would be a distraction from that. And so at the same time as, as Scripture sort of rebukes this, this fantasy weekend in Las Vegas, Scripture also talks a lot about things like singing and dancing and making music and festivals and feasts and joy and celebration and things that sound like a lot of fun. And all that joy is meant to orient us to God in some way. And, and so many Christians have thought that then being oriented to God must mean that you should only be thinking about God while you're doing it. And all of this has created kind of a weird vibe sometimes where you, you're encouraged to be joyful but also discouraged from doing anything that doesn't put God at the front of your mind. And so somehow you are just supposed to become someone who, for whom a fun time is sitting in church. If you don't find singing hymns for six hours to be like the most fun thing in the world, then, I mean, that's on you. You need to get right because that's the only kind of fun that God approves of. Or at least that's, that's what many of us have been told. Many of us come from backgrounds where that was implicitly or explicitly told to us, and so we have complicated feelings about play. So what do we mean at ECV when we say play can and should be part of your Sabbath? Well, let's, let's think a little bit more about why Scripture is so hard on things that people consider fun. One of the things that you, you notice as you kind of take Scripture as a whole is that the Bible, when it speaks judgment over the world's fun, understands itself first to be speaking to a broken world that doesn't believe in God and thus doesn't obey God and thus doesn't keep the Sabbath at all. And because it doesn't have the Sabbath... It doesn't actually play at all. The real issue that Scripture has with the world's fun is that it isn't really play. In fact, it isn't really anything. It's empty. It's worthless in the words of Isaiah 44. The real critique Scripture offers of our fun and entertainment is that it, because it exists in a world that worships work, our fun ends up being defined by work. It serves work rather than serving God and serving Sabbath rest. For example, sometimes the, the closest thing to, that, to play that some people have in their lives is kind of showing off their wealth or their toys or their luxury vacations. They work and work and work to become rich, and that way they, what they count as rest is to kind of just sit around looking at or taking pictures of all the stuff that they bought. Scripture has critical things to say about that. Like this, this is the gist of like a long passage in Ecclesiastes 2 where the narrator, he accomplishes everything. He, he sort of hoards all of these riches, all this money, all of these possessions, all of it in some attempt to find joy. All of this is happening in the context of him just trying to find a way to cheer himself up. And so he tries to take pleasure in the fruit of his toil. He tries to seek joy in the rewards of all of this hard work that he's done. And then in the end, it turns out it's all nothing. There's nothing there. It's all vanity and a chasing after wind. This play that is based on work is no fun at all in the end. It's not satisfying. It's just empty. Another example for you. It's, it's actually interesting how fixated Scripture is on drunkenness. And that's 
because it is speaking to a fallen world in which drunkenness is a nearly universal temptation. Across time, across cultures, why is drunkenness a temptation? Because in a world dominated by effort, in a world without Sabbath, alcohol provides an escape from the grind. For many adults, the only way that they can even get close to something that resembles playfulness is by drinking. And without that, they don't really know how to have fun at all. They never actually play. They only know a kind of empty play that is just an escape from work, and alcohol makes that possible. In a world without Sabbath, you never really enjoy yourself. You just shut your mind down for a few hours so you don't have to think about your stress. That's why it's so interesting in in Acts chapter 2 that when Jesus' disciples receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, other people see them and think, well, they must be drunk. They see the disciples having fun and celebrating, and they think, well, only alcohol could give that kind of freedom. And the disciples are like, no, actually, something new is breaking into our lives. It's because God's Spirit is with us that we are given permission to play. In a world defined by work, in a world without Sabbath, the closest thing we have to play is distraction. It's escape. It's like I just need to stop living, actually, at least living this hard life for a little while. And for that reason, another concern that Scripture has about play is that we would use it to avoid thinking about things like terrible injustices happening around us. This is, I mentioned Isaiah 44 earlier. This is part of a much longer uh, passage across this whole section of Isaiah, which is giving us a kind of origin story of idolatry of all kinds, that you would take kind of some silly thing that is really just for the sake of your pleasure or comfort or fun, and you would end up serving it. You would, you would make it into a God for yourself, and the effect of serving it is that you would neglect God's commands, including his commands for justice, that you would forget about the poor, the hungry, the widow, the orphan. But God doesn't want us to escape this world. He wants, us, he wants to give us the world he intended. His kingdom is breaking in, and his kingdom is a world of Sabbath, It is a world defined by wholeness and rest and provision, and in that world, suddenly, play becomes possible for the first time. It begins to make sense. While I was was in South Africa, I I visited this kind of of a school-slash-orphanage that for children who were in very desperate circumstances, and it was run by this Anglican priest, and he just seemed to me like, a very serious, holy person. He was very soft-spoken. He was always wearing these like clerical robes and this collar. And this community that he had formed was just sacred. It was, it was all of these traumatized and needy children that were being loved and cared for. And the children seemed pretty happy, but they also seemed to like just have a lot of respect for the priest. He would, he would lead them in like these prayers and he would teach them to sing these very old hymns. And I had dinner one night with this, this little community. And then after dinner, all the kids started pushing the tables to the side of the room, up against the walls, like clearing space in the middle. And this little boy runs up to the priest and starts like yanking on his sleeve. And the priest smiles at me and says, the children would like to show you uh, a, some dances that they've learned. And I was like, well, that, I mean, that sounds awesome. I would love that. 
And I had been welcomed uh, on a number of different occasions in, in different places in Africa by people doing, especially children, doing traditional African dances when I arrived. So that's kind of what I was expecting. Except all of a sudden the kids like turn on this boom box and it starts playing early 90s American hip hop. And all of a sudden they're all break dancing. And then they go and they grab the priest and suddenly he starts like popping and locking and he gets down on the floor and he's spinning and he does like a headstand. All of this, he's still wearing his robes. And the kids, then the kids are all like taking their turns in the center. Everybody's kind of showing off their moves. Come to find out that this priest had been like a competition break dancer in his youth. And three times a week, he would gather the children after dinner to teach them all of his dance moves. And it was just so great. It was so much fun. It really made me reflect, though, on, on why like, I found it so disorienting that this holy place would feature breakdancing. Because the, the more I thought about it, it was like, of course this place is a place to dance. Like, of course. This priest has given these kids who have come from so much struggle and pain, he has finally given a, them a place where they can relax, where they can just finally be kids. This is actually the perfect place. This is the only place that they can really play. The main point of Scripture is that the only reason Sabbath is possible at all is because God is a creator God. God spent six days creating, then he rested on the seventh day. So we take one day out of seven to rest in God's creative act. Sabbath is possible because God is Lord of all creation. He created and he creates. Anything we do to participate in God's creative act can be rest for us. God's creativity is the very heart of Sabbath, and creativity also happens to be the very heart of play. That's why another word for play is recreation, re-creation. We are participating all over again in the pleasure of God's creative activity. Sophia and I uh, have a little toddler at home, Lila. Lila is, is just beginning to play on her own. And what play looks like for her is learning. It's experimenting. It's figuring out what she's capable of, she, how to move things, how to climb on things, how to break things, how to blow bubbles, how to communicate, how to be someone who can interact with and then change the world around her. And it's all fun for her. She loves it. But her play is first and most importantly a kind of creative act. She is growing into the image of God as someone with agency, as with the power to change things. So, what kind of Sabbath play would help you connect with God the Creator? Well, I, I don't have a lot of like fixed rules for you because God is creative. He may invite you to join Him in activities that I haven't even imagined yet. But here are a few broad guidelines that I would refer to. Sabbath play first helps us enjoy God's gifts. Sometimes we act as if the main reason that God gave us gifts is to make us productive workers in the church. But they are gifts. They are gifts like a parent gives to a child. And if that's true, then the main purpose of gifts is that you would enjoy them. You would have fun using them. God delights in watching you enjoy your gifting. And nothing else actually needs to be accomplished other than God's delight in you. Sabbath play also 
engages our bodies, which doesn't necessarily mean that it requires physical exercise, but it does consider our bodies, even if that looks like taking a nap. But also, I mean, salute to many of you. Salute to all of you, you basketball players, you soccer players, you pickleball players, you hikers, runners, cyclists, mall walkers, salsa dancers, ninja warriors, even you axe throwers, uh, all of you. <laughs> all of you. We have so many folks who bring themselves into alignment with God's Sabbath rest by using their bodies. Engaging our bodies helps us be aware of ourselves as creative creatures in God's creation. But so does any kind of play that asks us to collaborate with others, to become more aware of how we interact and change people around us. Sabbath play also then fosters connection and community. So salute to you, Thursday night chess players. Salute to you, board gamers, poetry slammers, band members, people who show up to cheer on band members, party hosts, dinner hosts, people who take their kids to the pool or the splash pad together. Salute to you who have, we have all these folks around who choose community in their play. And even when Sabbath play doesn't involve other people, even if you do solo play, like you're taking a long walk or something, it still fosters connection when it gives us space to think about other people, to process the feelings that people have given us, to, to shift our attitude maybe towards some of the sacrifices that we make for other people. It invites us to grow more aware of the fact that healthy relationships need creativity. And the more we lean into God's creativity, the less stuck we feel, the more freedom then we have to love in new ways. Sabbath play also makes space for gratitude rather than dread. Because Sabbath begins with God as creator, Sabbath play helps us connect with the joy of knowing God has got this. I can play because God is in control and God is good. As opposed to the kind of entertainment that is like pure distraction or procrastination where where you are just trying to lose track of your thoughts, where you are actively trying not to think. Because when you think, you start worrying about whatever, a conversation you need to have with your boss, a paper you need to write, just the stress of everyday life. So in all of these different ways, Sabbath invites us to be creators rather than consumers. And to be honest, that is, that is harder than ever these days. There are a huge number of forces in the world that want to make us consumers. They want us not to create, but to become dependent on the creation of others, maybe even addicted to products or pleasures or entertainment that others create. And I'm not even going to take, I'm not going to take time to give you examples because I, I mean, I, I'm sure most of you have already spent a lot of time wrestling with your own relationship to your computer screen or your cell phone or whatever. Can these things, can a television, can a video game, can a cell phone app be a place of Sabbath play. Honestly, I'm a, a little bit skeptical about it. But God's creativity always surprises me. My, uh, my brother is, was into video games before he had kids. And he, he would only really, though, log on to play with all of his friends from college who were sort of scattered all over the country. And they would play competitively, but the whole time 
they would just kind of chat. They were just catching up. Like, sometimes men sort of need to trick themselves into bonding. And, and the video game was really just like an excuse to connect. And it made me think, well, you know, maybe there is more Sabbath possibility in video games than, than I previously thought. I think, uh, I think that our pastor, Josh Williams, has been actually a great example to me. If, if you watch a movie with Josh, it is like an active, creative, communal experience. Josh loves movies, and I appreciate the way he actively makes meaning out of them. He is always looking for the places in movies where God is doing something in his heart or trying to say something to him. Not everyone has like, quite the theological mind for movies that Josh does, but I appreciate the way that he invests meaning into them. And he takes what could be just consumption and turns it into this creative process that he participates in and he invites other people to participate in. And so, you know, judging from the outside, something like watching a movie just looks totally passive and isolating, but it doesn't have to be. And that's a good caution for me, I guess, to not jump to conclusions about other things that other people might enjoy. But I would say, discern for yourself. Pay careful attention to your experience of entertainment. Does it draw you closer into life? Or does it feel a little bit like a taste of death? Do you get to the end of it and feel a kind of emptiness or a heaviness? Do you feel headachey? Do you feel a little queasy? Do you find yourself binging? Does time feel like it's disappearing? Like you, you just notice yourself automatically clicking on video after video without even totally thinking about it. If so, that doesn't necessarily mean that you just need to quit entertainment cold turkey, but it does mean that this is worth praying about. This is, this is something worth asking God about, trying to understand this stress that has you trapped in a cycle where you never really have the freedom to play. So one last thought before we end. I think ECV is uh, a little bit unusual as a church in a good way because we have so many folks who I think get a lot of this already. They have engaged in Sabbath play for years. Some of you may even be wondering like, why I spent all this time talking about the Bible and play because you're sort of like, well, yes, obviously God loves play. But for others of you, play is actually quite difficult. Maybe you long for it, and maybe sometimes even the fact that you see people in your community enjoying it makes it even more painful. And so I just want to name a couple things that make play feel impossible for us. You might tell yourself, well, I just don't have the time or energy for play. Work is too much, family obligations are too much, activism is too much. I, I just really can't do much more than kind of collapse at the end of the day and sort of scroll through social media for 30 minutes and, while I fall asleep. That is as close as I can get to play. But, I mean, you know, that, is like, that is what life feels like when it is governed by work instead of Sabbath. And you might have to take to the Lord the question of whether you actually need to work this much, why you are working this much, if it feels like you don't have the time or energy to play, then frankly, that's a pretty clear sign that you are working too much. And maybe for a little while, you, you really just don't have any other choice. But maybe you do. Maybe there are more options than you realize, and there is something going on inside of you that you need to take to God that is preventing you from working less. Play can also be very difficult because it asks for vulnerability. 
You might tell yourself, well, I would love to play, but I don't have anybody to do it with. But the truth is, you almost certainly do have people in your life and almost certainly have people in this very room who would be willing to play with you if you just asked. Sabbath play invites you to see yourself as a child of God, and so it invites you to connect with with the kind of eagerness, the excitement, the silliness that we associate with children. And for some of us, it's hard to allow ourselves to be seen in that particular way. And that's also something to take to God. If, if you keep telling yourself, Lord, why won't you provide me playmates? The Holy Spirit might return to you the question, well, what's keeping you from just asking someone to play? So I'm, I want to invite the, the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I just want to leave you with a, a few invitations uh, to take with you this week. First, I... I want you to invite you to pray that God would show you more of his creativity. Maybe you are actually just having a hard time still believing that God is playful. And if so, God wants to show you more of himself. Second, take some time to think about what, what's a kind of play that you have dreamed about, maybe, but have always held yourself back from. Is this actually a moment when the Spirit is telling you, now is the time to go for it? Third, consider taking like a, just a practical step this week to invite someone else into play. Maybe you've become really comfortable with play that is easy for you, but I promise you it is not easy for everyone. Maybe it feels risky, maybe even potentially disruptive to, to your fun to invite new people into it, but... But maybe that's a challenge that God is inviting you to take up. So I just want to take a moment uh, to kind of sit with some of these invitations before we spend a little bit more time thinking about what the Lord is saying with us. Take a moment, even just in silence now, to look over these and to kind of notice, begin to notice what feelings come up in you as you even think about these things. Something as, as simple as play, actually, precisely because it is simple, connects us sometimes to very deep and powerful memories and experiences, emotions from our past, maybe all the way back to our childhood, feelings of joy, feelings of longing, maybe feelings of joy that has been stolen from us, maybe feelings of longing that have been unfulfilled, So I just wanted to take a moment, continue noticing in your own heart what's going on. Maybe even name the emotions that are, are coming up in you now. Let's just take them for a moment to God in prayer and then I'll... Uh, someone else will come up to share a few more senses of what God might be saying to us. Lord, to take up something like play and Sabbath seems like it should be so just easy and light and untroubled. 
But precisely because that's, it's, that's not always our experience of it, we suddenly find ourselves grieving or sad or lonely or just wondering, what, what will it take for something to change for me? And we might also find you at work. We might also find places where there is bursts of joy, where there is an experience of play, where there is new freedom, new possibility. Lord, lead us by your spirit to those places in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.